Welcome to Dad Rocks, a podcast for dads who love music, made by dads who love music. Hello and welcome to Dad Rocks, the podcast about being a dad and loving music and how the two intersect in our lives. I'm your host, Josh, and today my guest is Tom Monahan. Tom is one of the hosts of the podcast 1001 Album Complaints and a member of the music collective The Chop Unlimited. But most importantly, he's the father of two kids. Tom, welcome to Dad Rocks. Josh, thank you for having me on. I definitely appreciate the opportunity to talk more trash about music, and <laughs> that's basically all I do with my time. Yeah. Well, we'll be talking about your kids, too, so if you want to trash on your kids, too, that's, that's, that's uh, you know... That's possible in this podcast. It's, yeah, they're going to well. be in therapy later anyway, so it's okay. <laughs> um, so first of all, again, thanks for coming on. Um, you know, how, the podcast, 1001 Album Complaints, you guys have been doing it now for a couple of years. How is it going overall? I mean, it's a lot of fun. I got to say, we always joke about how there are times where we will do an hour and a half talking about an album and then we'll stop recording and we'll stay on the call for another half an hour, 45 minutes talking about the same recording. Just, <laughs> we always joked about, there was a time where I live on the West Coast, but for the last couple of summers, I've been going back to the East Coast and staying there. And my mom, who's a retired teacher, will watch my kids for the summer. Mm. Um, so, cause now that we can work remotely, it just makes a little bit more sense to do that because summer camps is stupid expensive. Yes. And so we recorded a podcast we then left and went to the bar and continued to talk about music for another like three hours. And then <laughs> as we're leaving, we're like shouting things at each other as we're going to the cars, like, hey, one more thing. I just got one more yeah. thing to say. I, it's, you know, it's really most of what my mental space goes to is how do I not get fired from my job? <laughs> <laughs> how do I make sure my kids are not going to be, you know, sociopaths? And how can I talk about music more? And the people who do this with you are in this. I guess it's a musical collective or band, or I don't know what you guys want to call yourself, but you basically, these are guys you play music with and have been play, playing music with for a long time, right? Yeah, so one of the guys I've been friends with since I was three, one of the guys I've been mm -hmm. friends with since I was like five, um, one of them taught me how to sing harmony when I was in the second grade, and oh, wow. so we've been singing together for a long time. I was in a band in high school with two of them for like seven years, That high school through college. When I moved out to the West Coast, a couple of the other guys had moved out, and so we were then in a band called The Chop, and when we all lived in San Francisco, we played for about two years, kind of up and down the West Coast. Had a good time, then, like most people do when they move to San Francisco, they realize they want to start a family and this is not the place for it, so a bunch <laughs> of the guys moved to different places, and so... What we've done with the Chop Unlimited is basically we sort of funded a record label and then we kind of all fund each other's projects. So mm. we'll all sort of do different projects. And two of the guys on the podcast are in a band in uh, Delaware. Um, I'm in a band with Rob. We actually have a couple of different projects. Over the summer, we all met up and recorded another album project together. So we're all trying to sort of self-support this little ecosystem to make more weird music. That's basically our goal. We want to make weird music. Yeah. And and my point of, of bringing that up, and I, you know, we, we could talk about it a little more later, is just that, you know, I've played music with, you know, the same guys for years. Uh, you know, my high school slash college band, 
the four of us will get together every once in a while. And for years we would get together, you know, once a year because I was living in different states and, you know, everyone was living all over the place. And we would just hang out for an entire day. And then it was like play music and hang out and talk. And just when you have that kind of, um, you know, connection, that friendship and that musical connection, that's really special. And that allows you to have all of these, you know, conversations, especially if you've been, you know, if you've toured, like we didn't really tour that much, but we played a lot of gigs together. We practiced a lot. When you spend a lot of time together, you really get to trust each other. You really get to know each other very well. And if you're, you have good relationships and you don't break up, you know, that even, you know, fosters even greater, um, you know, sense of community. Yeah, absolutely. My wife and I, we always joke that we're like, long-term relationship people I've been married for 14 years at this point and I've been at my job for 13 years she's been at her job for 11 years almost all of my friends I've known since I was single digit age I just when I find something I like I stick with it forever and I don't see a reason to change maybe I just fear change I guess yeah well you know with the podcast I have to say I am incredibly impressed that you guys put out a show every week Um, especially because not only are you doing it every week, which when I started this podcast with two other guys, um, you know, it was my hope was that we do once every two weeks and it just became impossible to do because of family and job stuff. And this was during COVID. Like it was hard to do. We, we, if we got one a month, it was great. Um, so I, you know, I'm really impressed at, at how frequently you do it. Plus the amount of research that you do for each episode, like, I recently listened to, uh, I guess, one of your most recent episodes. I don't think you were on it. It was for White Denim's album D, mm, yeah. which I'm a big fan of White Denim. Um, and that album, like, was how I got into them. And it was, you know, it's my, it's a great album. I was actually surprised it was on the list and happy to see it. But, like, the research that, was it Adam? Is he, He's, like, one of the lead guys, right? Yeah, yeah. Yeah. The research he put into it to find out any information about the band, which is hard, and then also how you guys talk about reading books and and watching movies within a week is incredibly impressive. How are you able to do that all, you know, and still have jobs and families and whatnot? <laughs> well, we have within our friend group a very good spirit of one-upsmanship going on where we will give each other lots and lots of shit if you are not living up to the expectations. And I would never want to show up and feel underprepared, especially if I was the one who was leading it and have somebody else who it wasn't even their job to do all the research know more than me. I would be shamed eternally. And and it's not the kind of thing where I would just internally feel this. They would shame me and they would talk shit about it forever. Because when you've been <laughs> friends for 30 plus years, I mean, we're, I'm still talking shit to these guys about stuff that happened in high school. You know, like we <laughs> yes, hold on to things yes, forever. Yes, yes, Yeah. Yes. Um, and, you know, because it is it is very impressive, like how much research, you know, you guys do. And, you know, though, if, if for, for some of the episodes I've listened to for bands that I like really have been fan, a fan of for a long time, like I know you got, there's some information that may not be, you know, it, it may not be full or may not be like 100% accurate. There may be like, you know, instances where it's not, you know, it's whatever, but still the fact that you're doing this on a weekly basis with different artists, with different albums, spending the time to listen to the same album over and over again. You know, I, I just applaud you guys for all of that work that you put into it. Well, thank you. I feel like we are flying by the seat of our pants a lot of the time. And it's like, oh, shit, I have to host tomorrow. I really better have this narrative put together because <laughs> I feel like we 
in our earliest episodes, um, I think it was like our third or fourth episode, we did a Solomon Burke album. And I love Solomon Burke, so I did a ton mm-hmm. of research. And I listen back to it now, and I was just vomiting facts. There was no <laughs> narrative. There was no storyline that gave you an idea of where they started, how they got to where they were, when they recorded the album, and what recording the album was like. Right. It was just, I read this in a book. And I also read a lot of history, and so... I greatly appreciate a good narration of a historic event and not just here's a spreadsheet of all the supplies that this army had or, you know, here's a just unconnected list of dates in this person's life. Like, I want to know the connective tissue between those things. That's what makes it compelling. Yeah. And another thing to say about that, what you kind of mentioned is that with early episodes, you, you know, you're still trying to figure things out. It's very rare, especially with, you know, I assume none of you guys have backgrounds in media. I know when I started, like, I kind of had an idea. I was basing things off of, like, you know, WTF, Mark Maron's WTF, because that's mm-hmm. pretty much all I listened to. And so I, you know, you you try to come up with an idea to start out with, and then it kind of, kind of shifts. Like, this was supposed to be, like, interviews were supposed to happen every once in a while on the show, and now all it is is an interview show that I, you know, put out once a month if I can. So... I think it's just natural and having listened to not like super early episodes, but I would say, you know, within the first 50 and now listening to the most recent ones, you can tell that you guys have kind of now have a pretty streamlined, um, you know, set and, and, you know, uh, just how you go about it. Like it's pretty much, you have a narrative, you, you, you have how everything's going to roll. You even changed when you're reading the mail, which used to be in the front and it was in the back. And then now it's like at near the end, which I think is a lot smooth, makes it a lot smoother. Um, so, well, one interesting thing is, uh, Rob and I actually work together and we've worked together okay. for the last eight years or so. And thankfully my boss will never listen to this, but we yeah. actually have a scheduled like podcast strategy meeting that we put <laughs> on our work calendar during work hours. And we get together for a half hour and just talk about, Hey, what's working, what's not working, what do we need to change? And yeah. so Rob is a very, when we, when we were in the chop, he was kind of the band leader of the chop and we called him captain Redbeard Cause he was mm-hmm. very much a taskmaster. I shit you not. We used to have homework assignments for practice, and if we didn't have it done, we were fined five dollars when we wow. walked in the door. It was—he's a very organized guy, and I think you kind of need somebody like that to absolutely keep the ship rolling forward. And I'm much more of an idea guy. Like I was the guy who was like, "Hey, we should do a music podcast," and Rob was like, "All right, well, what's the hook?" And then so I came back like a couple weeks later and I was like, we can do it on this 1001 album list. I think this is a good way to do it. And he's like, okay, how often are we going to do it? What are all the logistics? Like, how are we going to keep track of everything? I'll get a spreadsheet going. I was like, great. This sounds exactly like my buddy, John, who I've been playing music with since high school. He is that guy. And it is, you really do need someone like that in any kind of, you know, group to keep everyone in line and to have, you know, to kind of set the standard. And, uh, but yeah, everything you were saying, I was just like, that's John, that's John, that's John. (laughs) Everybody (laughs) needs that person. You know, they say the nickname for Bruce Springsteen, the boss was not given as a compliment. And it was given as he was the boss. When you showed up, he was like, I gave you an assignment. Did you do that assignment? (laughs) You didn't do that assignment. I'm going to fucking fire you if you don't get this shit done. (laughs) He's, he's a no nonsense kind of guy. And I am much more of a nonsense kind of guy. So I need somebody to keep me on the rails. Yeah. Well, you know, 
how did the I, I want to I'm just curious you just you mentioned that the podcast came about by you just saying that we should have a music podcast was this something you had been thinking about or it just kind of came up in conversation like oh this could be a good idea or was there like was because I know this came out I, I had this idea for this podcast for when my son was born basically in 2018 and then during COVID I was like let's do this now let's you know we all have a little bit more free time so was this something that you know came out because of covid or was it just something that you had in mind or just happened honestly it was just because of covid and loneliness i had tried to organize some like virtual poker games with people and i wasn't mm. getting a whole lot of uptake with that and we'd done some just zoom calls where we'd all just kind of get together and bullshit and talk and at some point, I realized that if we were going to have any momentum with that, we needed a purpose and we needed a goal. And the goal, honestly, was not let's make money. The goal is not let's get a ton of subscribers. The goal is let's find a way that we can all explore and discover new music. Because, frankly, for a lot of people, the biggest problem with music appreciation is stagnation. And you know mm -hmm. what you like, and you sort of just yep. kind of stick to that. And you're like, I've listened to the same album 12 times. It's my comfort album. That's great. There's nothing wrong with that. But if you're not naturally inclined to be a seeker of new music, having an assignment that says, listen to this. You've never listened to this album before. You have never listened to Loretta Lynn in your life. You got to learn a lot about Loretta Lynn, and you got to appreciate the undercurrent of what's going on with Loretta Lynn and then you can say truly do I like it or do I not like it not just I don't like country it's like well that's a ridiculous statement to make there's a lot of good country you just haven't been exposed to it and if you're going to say I don't like something again this kind of comes back to the ethos of our friend group is it's a lot of like cite your sources back that up mm -hmm. you say you don't like rap what rap don't you like and if it's just a general I don't like rap that's an invalid comment I don't respect that comment <laughs> at all I will respect I have listened to a Black Eyed Peas album and it sucked and I'm like okay yes. great fair <laughs> enough here's some other examples of things that don't suck that you could listen to yeah no and I, I just to to your point absolutely like this is one of the things that this podcast had especially in the beginning is the three of us when we started we all we had similar you know veins that we were uh you know into but the we also had things that we were n not into and i learned a lot from the other two guys um and i know i put out some music that they had never heard before um and i you know i actually from your podcast i remember giving the super tramp album uh, uh the super tramp po uh, episode a listen and I was like, because I'd never listened to Supertramp other than the hits that were on, you know, whatever. And I was like, always seen Breakfast in America, you know, there and never just never bought it. Then listened to that episode and then listened to Breakfast in America. And I was like, oh, this is a pretty, you know, I, now I can see why they're popular kind of deal. Like, am I a big Supertramp fan now? No, but like I can appreciate their work and I now understand kind of where they're coming from and what, you know, made them popular. Yeah, uh, you know, in the seventies and stuff. My, my my philosophy on music is, you don't have to like, you don't have to like it, but you have to get it. You have to at least be able to get it. Like I get what you were going for, and I don't like it. That's a yeah. valid comment to make. But just, eh, I don't really care for it. And unexamined, I don't care for it. It's, you know, put some more effort into it, especially for something that is, minus my kids, the greatest joy in my life. 
and I guess yeah. my wife as well. <laughs> <laughs> I I don't not mean I guess my wife. I'm extraordinarily yeah. happily married. My wife, yeah. for some reason, still thinks I'm a viable partner, and I still <laughs> to this day don't understand why, and I'm eternally grateful for it. But you know, music has been my love since I was a kid. Yeah. Oddly enough, uh-huh. because my parents listened to terrible music, just the absolute dog shit worst music. But the one thing they didn't introduce me to was Weird Al. And that wow. sparked so much of my musical appreciation, listening to yes. those pastiche songs that he would do and be like, oh, wow. Yep. It's so Absolutely. weird. A, uh, that's interesting. That you're, we could talk, we can delve into that a little more, but I'm a massive Weird Al fan. Uh, seen him several times in concert. You know, he was important to me as well. And uh, I think it, it, it's, what's really nice and is that he is now getting the recognition that he has always deserved. I would say in the last 10 years or so, probably since Lin-Manuel Miranda and Jimmy Fallon really came out in like support of him and said how big of, a, of nerds they were for him. So, uh, but yeah, he is definitely was an, an ear opening and brain opening um, experience for in terms of showing me what is out there in terms of music. Sure. Uh, I feel like it's analogous to there were so many movies that I saw later and I was like, oh, I get that Simpsons reference now. Yeah. And there were songs that I heard later, and I'm like, oh, that's that Weird Al song. Like, <laughs> actually, no, that's a foreigner song, but okay. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Um, you know, to, and you were talking about, you know, just like in terms of your feelings about music, and, and you may come into certain albums may, maybe not knowing or liking stuff. You still, you guys still bring out a lot of emotions in your listeners, um, you know, with certain albums. I, I'm going to bring up the Gang of Four album because my buddies Joe and Steve, I sent it to them because they're big of big Gang of Four, um, you know, fans. And when I sent it to them, because I was listening, I was just like, I, I really never listened to Gang of Four before, um, but I was just listening. I was just like, if I send it to them, they're gonna fucking hate this they're gonna really hate this and they did and they were pissed but i told them it's a good hate listen like they're you know the weather report album i don't even know who was crapping on them and like some of the songs and everything who was who was even on that episode but i mean i it's it's their most popular album i don't think it's their best album it has birdland on it and teen town but like i was just like oh they're just crapping on this amazing band and i'm just like i was getting so mad but then i would listen to like the big star album even though you guys didn't really know about that about number one record it was like oh okay yeah i totally agree with this or even like the kinks uh the one you guys did uh the the yeah, village green, green yeah. preservation yeah that was also when i was like yes okay uh it was the Nora Jones one I listened to a little bit. That was also like, <laughs> man, they really just like want to crap on all of her music. Um, but yeah, I mean, is that what you're going for? I know that you have an ex, you know, a kind of a disclaimer at the beginning now of your episodes, but is that kind of what you're going for now? Is to to kind of rile up some emotions uh, with the with each episode? Frankly, no, it's really not targeted at being contrarian. We're kind of naturally contrarian and i think it's more owning your opinion if you don't like it own own why you don't like it say why you don't like it and you don't have to like it 
And just because I don't like something doesn't mean it's not important. And I think oftentimes, like um, one of the earlier episodes was the Smiths. And I hate Morrissey. I cannot stand his voice. I cannot stand him as a person, his whole persona. I don't like anything about Morrissey. But I still said you should listen to that album before you die. Even the entire time I was like, I hate this album. This is not for me. Doesn't mean it's not important. And it's kind of the same with Gang of Four. I think we all said that you actually should listen to Gang Mm -hmm. of Four. And I will say I have listened to that Gang of Four album since then. And I do appreciate it more. And so much of music is so tied to when you heard it, where you were Mm -hmm. in your life when you heard it. And a lot of these just missed me. I wasn't the right age. I'm sure if I heard it when I was, you know, if I heard Gang of Four when I was a teenager and very angsty, I probably would have been like, yes, this is speaking to me. This is speaking to my unfocused malaise and angst that I have. And or there's this other concept of, I don't know if you're familiar with this band, Dr. Dog. They're yeah. a great band. I uh, This band I, I should get into and I, I can't. I just, you know, fair enough. The guy, the, yeah, the guy's voice. I don't know. I just can't. Even he, you know, he's played with Pat Finnerty, and I've watched the Pat Finnerty show and stuff like that. Tried to. I just, I, I can't. I appreciate them. I know they're great songwriters. I just can't. can't I don't get into fault. Them. Listen, I don't fault anybody for not liking them. I just so happened to be in the area at a time where I got like a, a CD mm-hmm. that just it was getting passed around my friend group. It just said, "Burn this CD," and it was. Easy Beat and the some demos that they had had before. So basically their first super lo-fi album. And we would go see them. There'd be like 12 people there. And then you get this sense of ownership of, I know this cool mm-hmm. thing that nobody else does. Yep. And then somebody shits on your cool thing. And you're like, how dare you? Like, well, it's not really for everybody. And I heard it when they were already popular and when everybody kind of liked them. And I don't really care for it. So the mystique kind of went away for me. And so again, we're not really trying to piss people off. And I, I really do genuinely mean that. I just think that we don't care if we do. <laughs> and that's kind of part of the fun yeah, of the exercise. Yeah, absolutely. So do you guys plan on doing all 1001 episodes? Because I did the math and it's going to be at about another 17 years or so for you to get them all in. I, listen, so. we don't have any plans of stopping, <laughs> and we certainly don't have any plans to do more than one episode a week. So <laughs> we are going to go as long as we can. And and odd, honestly, we haven't had a drop-off in interest. There was initially the distribution of the workload was very even initially, and I think everybody's ability to contribute was not even. And it has reached an equilibrium now where everybody's kind of happy at first there was only two people that were doing any editing of the episodes which is a huge pain in the ass for anybody out there that listens to a podcast by the way the amount of editing that goes into it is kind of insane and it's so nitpicky and terrible it's one of the reasons i can't do more than one a month yeah like i just don't have time to to edit and i started editing you know maybe a couple of months ago we have another guy so was four people who are doing editing and i think that that has distributed the workload more evenly and it's usually whoever's hosting is doing the editing as well Mm -hmm. so you know you sort of do an intense spurt of hosting then editing and then you get to relax and by relax i mean listen to an album 20 times over the course of a week (laughs) (laughs) but we've we've hit a good stride where nobody is sort of saying i can't do this anymore and i'm really feeling overwhelmed with it i think that we've kind of reached a good stasis point yeah and the fact that 
I mean, I don't know if you've monetized at all um, or not, but I mean, this this is probably not your primary, you know, income. So it's if if things fall off, it's not the end of the world. Uh, I assume as well. It's certainly not my primary income. Um, I'd like to think I make more than negative three hundred dollars a year. So <laughs> we haven't really tried to monetize, in all honesty, yeah. and it has hasn't really been a priority for us. Um, I mean, part of it is just that we're all dudes in our forties who have yeah. jobs and we just sort of do this for fun. If I wanted to make money off of music, I would have given up a long, long time ago because I am <laughs> several thousand, maybe tens of thousands of dollars in the hole if you include equipment purchases over you know, the lifetime of my music. And yeah. now I live in, so I live out in San Francisco. If we're gonna play, I can't play in my house or my garage. My house touches both of my neighbor's houses. So yeah. we have to rent a space and then, you know, then you're every month you're down a couple hundred bucks for your share of a rental space. Or if you're not doing that, then you have to try to get one of those drop in day rates and that's a couple hundred oh, yeah, bucks I, to do yeah. that. So, I've been yeah. there, done that. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Totally understand. Um, so obviously you are in California. Mm-hmm. Um, did is, you mentioned going back to the East Coast? Are you from Delaware originally? I am born and raised Wilmington, Delaware. Yes. Nice. Uh, I don't in the city or outskirts of. Uh... So I lived in an unincorporated sliver outside oh, of Wilmington. Delaware is unincorporated, like Maryland. Yeah. So it was. My dad was a city of Wilmington police officer, and for a span of like three years they would let police officers that did not live in the city become city of Wilmington police officers. That was when he joined. Mm. And so his younger brother, who also joined, joined later and lived literally right on the city line as far Mm -hmm. as you could get from Center City. (laughs) And we were about a mile past the city line in this kind of little unincorporated area. It's, uh, It's funny. My wife is from Hawaii which is much nicer than Delaware. (laughs) And so I go back to her childhood home, and I'm like, this is idyllic. You're in a valley. It rains for 20 minutes at 5 o'clock in the evening every day, and there's a rainbow and cool breezes. And she goes to my house, and she's like, there's an industrial park behind (laughs) your house. Is this what you grew up with? I was like, oh, yeah, I used to go and play with all the earth-moving equipment back there. It was great. She's like, okay. We had a little different experiences. No sales tax on anything. We can buy yeah, everything, you know, and the price is the price. Exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, but what was you know, I remember I, I knew one kid uh, from I think he was from Wilmington. I went to camp with him, uh, who this arts and music camp that I went to. I didn't know anyone else from from Delaware until I went to college. Um, what was the scene? What was what was it like growing up in Delaware? And what was the music scene like? So, I mean, growing up was honestly. It was pretty good. Like I said, my mom was a school teacher, mm-hmm. third grade teacher, and fantastic woman. Like I, she is a like state recognized one of the best teachers. People oh, wow. would come to the school just for her. I ha- cannot even tell you how many times I have had been in like a bar in Wilmington and dudes with like face tattoos been in and out of prison. <laughs> 
I'm not even joking, literally crying and being like, your mom was the only one who ever believed in me. Everyone else thought that I was a piece of shit. and She was the one who tried to help me. I'm like, oh, damn, dude. Okay. Like, calm down. Yeah, she's a nice lady. Um, So my childhood was great. It was just suburban, you know, riding bikes and stuff like that. The music scene, I started playing when I was 14. And I started playing guitar because that's what everybody does. And then after about a year of playing guitar, my best friend, Phil, who's also on the podcast, Mm -hmm. his parents went through a very nasty divorce. And so he locked himself in a room for a summer and just played the guitar all day. And at the end of the summer, he was so much better than me. And I was like, I need to figure something else out. So I started playing (laughs) the bass at that point. And we would do grade school dances. We would play carnivals. One of the big things that we would do is we would go and play at bars when we were 16 years old. And it was a weird scene, honestly, because we were kind of good. And it wasn't necessarily (laughs) that we were all fantastic at our instruments. Let's put it this way. I was not fantastic at my instrument. Phil was a very good, he was and still is a very good guitar player. The drummer that we had was freakishly good. I remember Mm. we played a set where we went to a bar and the band that played before us, which was all guys in their thirties. And he was, he was 15 at the time Mm. was the drummer was doing some really nasty triplet work on the kick drum. And I'd been playing with Mike for a year and a half at this point. He had never done that before. And he just got on stage and just did it. He saw it and was like, well, I just know how to do that now. And so he was really good. Adam, his dad, was a professional musician. He's been playing piano since he was five years old. He was always really good. And so we also were gigantic nerds with no life. And so we would play together, you know, three to five days a week, three to five hours a day when we would play. And we'd probably play, you know, maybe eight or nine shows a year or something like that. But that's all that we did. All that we did was play music. And it was weird because we got this we had this incubation period where nobody at our high school knew that we played music in a band. (laughs) And then we've been playing together for like a year and a half at this point. And then we played a talent show and people were like, Hey, you guys are actually, you guys are all right. Again, we're gigantic nerds. I cannot stress enough how big nerds we were. And we then said, Oh, well we had this gig at this coffee shop at the local college and down in Newark, Delaware. Yeah. At university of Delaware, baby. Uh, so we were playing at Jam and Java on Main Street in, okay. at University of Delaware. And we're like, hey, you know, we have a show coming up in like two weeks. and Maybe you can come. And like the whole fucking high school showed up. It was insane. Oh, wow. Like everybody showed up. And I was like, no, none of you people even knew who I was like two weeks yeah. ago. And now all of a sudden it became like the thing to do. That never happened again, by the way. Nobody came to the <laughs> shows. But mostly because we were playing at bars for, you know, yeah. uh, people in their 40s. So there was it really wasn't because, you know, I I live and I grew up in northern Jersey. And when I was in high school, I, I'm assuming we're close to the same age. Uh, I'm 40. I'm, assuming yeah, I'm 42. So, yeah, okay. pretty close. Yeah. So in the late 90s, the only scene really for music was the punk. And my band was like a Ben Folds type piano rock okay. band. Okay. Um, and um so there wasn't many places for us to play. And I assume being close to Newark, 
you guys had maybe some, you know, obviously you were able to play bars, but were there any like college town, you know, Newark gigs that you played that weren't bars, but you know, for college kids? Not until we were in college. We went to school at a very weird time, or I guess right around the time that we were all going to college there. They were cracking down on partying because the University mm. of Delaware had just been in Playboy magazine as one of the top 10 party schools in the country, <laughs> and they did not like that at all. And so they were really trying to crack down on that, and the scene got a little fragmented. And there were some underground punk shows, but we also were, we were not punk. We were doing like Jimi Hendrix medleys and stuff like that. Gotcha. So we were kind of playing dad rock for the dads basically <laughs> at that time. And when we got into college, we played some house parties where basically we would set up in the back of the house. We would take all the mattresses from all the rooms and line them up on the front of the house to try to dampen mm. the sound as much as we could. Luckily, we never uh, got busted for that because, you know, there was certainly mm-hmm. lots and lots of illicit activity going on there, mostly just underage drinking, a lot of weed smoking and stuff like that. Yeah. But the cops there did not have a sense of humor about that stuff at all. So Yeah, no, no, no. But mostly it was playing bars we kind of got into. Uh, we got to, I got to play the Stone Balloon a couple of times, which was... It still is a bar on Newark, but it's been redone. But mm. back in the 90s, like... P-Funk would play there, and Jimi Hendrix played there back in the day. It had a very storied history, so I got to play on that stage, which is really cool. But yeah, it was a lot of bars, and I remember when I was a freshman in college, I was trying to make some money, so I was sort of a hired gun bass player for a couple of other bands. Mm -hmm. And I'd have to get the big like M on the back of my hand Mm -hmm. in marker so that they wouldn't serve me drinks, and it was just ridiculous. I was like, I know you're not going to serve me beer, but also like I'm a pothead, so I'm just gonna go out back and get high. You know, <laughs> not anymore. Um, but that was my that was my my drug of choice really? back in the day in San Francisco. You know, <laughs> I'm, honestly, I'm really not. Uh, it it no, stopped I, I, I was, treating I was, me. I'm nicely. just joking. I, yeah, I'm just joking. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned Hendrix, and uh, you know who who are your influences? Because um, I, again, listening to the podcast, I'm kind of like shocked sometimes hearing how. Some of you guys don't know about some of the bands, and it's almost like I feel some guys really stay in their lane, you know, or have stayed in their lane musically. You know, you bring in a jazz guy to talk about jazz or whatever. Like, I'm just, you know, curious who who your influences were and who, you know, all of your guys' influences were, you know, growing up kind of playing music. So I was very much a 70s and 90s rock kid in high school. A lot of Stone Temple Pilots, Smashing Pumpkins, bands mm-hmm. like that. And then a lot of Led Zeppelin, The Doors, bands like that. And I, I've always loved the Beatles, clearly. Big mm-hmm. Beatles fan. I Later on in life, and by later on in life, I mean in college. So very early in my life compared to how old <laughs> I am now. I got into more hip-hop, and I listened to a lot of that. I listened to Fish for a long time. I was a hippie in college, so I went mm-hmm. to a lot of Fish shows. And I also got really into Steely Dan in college. <laughs> which was I don't know what are your opinions on Steely Dan what do, what do you think of the Dan my dad had like uh, their greatest hits album so I knew all of that stuff so I never hated them and you know I listened to a lot of classic rock growing up so um, I never listened to one of their albums though like um, I don't even know if I besides Asia which I own okay. I don't think I've ever like listened through 
a lot of their stuff. But I also was listening to Jazz Fusion when I was like uh, a preteen. Okay. Like I was into uh, Weather Report and got turned on to Mahavishnu. So like, you know, I was that kind of stuff. That Steely Dan stuff was, you know, I didn't mind it. Uh, I didn't really think about production values. I didn't think about who was, you know, playing. I was kind of, you know, uh, ignorant to all that kind of stuff. I've never hated Steely Dan. I saw Donald Fagan solo once. I didn't really know any of his songs. He was good though. He just, you know, so I'm kind of agnostic towards them. Okay. Uh, and I like Asia a lot. I think it's a, it's a great album. A lot of great playing on that. Um, but that's where I stand on Steely Dan. Yeah, I kind of, I got into them through the influence of other people who were sort of into them. And I, I liked them, but I always liked their more rock-oriented stuff. I like The Royal Scam. It's my favorite album of theirs. The early they're stuff. Just a, they're just a rock band at that point. I think that's their yeah. fourth album, maybe fifth album. But it's, was that was uh, was Jeff Baxter still on the band at that time? Oh yeah, oh yeah, yeah. Jeff Baxter and uh, Denny Diaz, Larry Carlton doing some of those solos there. It's, it's they were a bit more of a band at that point, uh, and not just let's get the most hired guns that we can to right. make this album sound impeccable. But I also got into like Medeski Martin and Wood. I would listen to that that kind of stuff. So yeah. Did you listen to our episode with Billy Martin? I did. You had an episode with Billy Martin. I've taken drum lessons with the dude. Yeah. Dude, okay. First of all, <laughs> that's awesome. And second of all, fuck you, man. How'd you get that pull? Come on. I, again, I, I took drum lessons from him. I had his email address. He reached out. He's he's a great dude. He lives like 10 minutes from my house. Oh, yeah. Um, no, he's he's amazing. They're, they were, they are a top five band in my life. They were incredibly influential. Um, I've seen them like close to 20 times. Um, and yeah, it's they are one of my favorite bands. Yeah. I was uh, had the shirt that said "It's the wood that makes it good" because I was, oh. I love Chris Wood. I think Chris Wood is top notch. Oh, amazing bass feel. player. Top kind of annoying. I mean, I love that the Wood Brothers have made it. You know, and I love it, but I also feel like I'm kind of frustrated because I know it's taking away from the fact that MMW can't reform because he's constantly touring and stuff like that. So yeah, um, but we that's we're, we're getting off a little tangent here. But yeah, so you were you're saying like Imadeski. Uh, Martin Wood was a big uh, influence. Yeah, and then I, you know, I listened to a lot of Victor Wooten stuff, like all bass mm. players do at some point, and then just hang your head and give up that you're never going to be able to play like that. <laughs> but I would say that where I am now, I am listening to a lot of like older music. Um, mm. If I'm listening in my own time, I'm listening to like the Platters or like the ink spots or something like that. I just, I've always loved harmony and I've always loved that era of songwriters, like a professional songwriter. So it's really interesting you bring up the platters because I'm just double checking here. Um, yeah, so the guy who I just interviewed on the last episode, my buddy Norwood Pearson, he tours with the Platters when they're on the East Coast. He's oh. uh, one of their guitar players. Nice. So, um, I cannot yeah. believe the Platters are still making music. Like the Drifters, it's just like a brand well, it's, it's, at this point. Yeah. It's it's literally just not this. It's not the yeah, same guys. Yeah. But yeah, it's it's kind of like the Temptations who have like one original member barely, but it's like yeah. you know the eight hundredth incarnation of the band. <laughs> It's kind of hard to do the pop out when you got the walker just like <laughs> shuffling out to the front to do his yeah. his solo line. But yeah, I, I don't know. I was a big fan of Carol King. It was I'm still a huge mm -hmm. fan of Carol King. I just like well constructed songs and I have gotten into more compact songs. I like to listen to just get in, give me beautifulness and get out, as opposed yeah. to I for a long time was much more expansive. I wanted that 
17 minute long epic and i still listen to a ton of pink floyd i I love pink floyd don't get me wrong but maybe it's just i don't have the patience to listen to you know a a 12 minute song that's half just weird noises like whales in the background or something (laughs) well i I have to say you know i I listened through a couple of you know the chop unlimited's uh um, you know, albums and the two, I guess, you know, you have several concept albums with the Beverly Crushers being Star Trek um, themed. And then the latest, uh, I guess, epic, um, the, was it John? It's about Go, the ghost beef. Yeah. Yeah. Ghost beef about the, the Chronicles of John Arby. Or yeah. It's it basically, it's a dystopian future where Arby's has taken over the world. Yeah. So I wasn't sure if you guys were, you know, into that realm of like almost proggy type, stuff um or not if that was you know those were big influences on you it's no honestly for our music lately i think a big part of it is especially with me i have a really hard time being sincere in lyrics and so Mm -hmm. i like to write from the standpoint of other weird characters and i know i'm going to be like let me tell you about my heartbreak because fucking who cares about my heartbreak you know it's (laughs) nobody gives a shit about that but you know i want to tell a weird story so we we do a lot of stuff as the Beverly Crushers. We're basically putting the finishing touches on second album for that, which is all songs from the standpoint of characters from Star Trek The Next Generation. Mm-hmm. We did Ghost Beef, which is, again, the Arby's concept album, but it's also metal. So the concept was like, let's have it be metal because fast food is super metal because it's terrible <laughs> for everybody concerned. The workers get the short shaft, the... the animals are yeah. slaughtered mercilessly the consumers are getting terrible food yeah. it's it's bad all across the board i will say though i do love arby's i, I <laughs> love me some arby's um the project that we worked on over the summer which we're actually hoping to have completed by the end of the year is um a ghostbusters musical oh nice so again there's not a whole lot of heartbreak and sincerity unless it is heartbreak and sincerity of you know Ray Venkman not being able to get uh, you know Dana <laughs> to fall in love with him you know yeah um, so I, by the way I just I just have to I cannot believe I said Ray Venkman it's clearly Peter Peter Venkman and Dana Barrett <laughs> I know these names it's a, it's a brain fart there <laughs> it's okay it's okay it happens. <laughs> Obviously, music is not your full-time job. Mm-hmm. Um, and mask, you know, what what do you do for you know a living? Um, I work for a real estate technology and services company, and yeah. I work in the operations department. I happen to kind of luck into this job. I was working for a wedding photography company. It was actually mm-hmm. where I met my wife. We were working together at the time, and that company was circling the drain, about to go out of business, and they did very shortly after I left. And I was like, listen, if both of us lose our jobs, this is a really, really bad situation for us. So I jumped ship, and I went to this um, real estate technology and services company. And very shortly after I was hired, the guy that hired me and the guy that started the company basically were at each other's throats and I kind of started acting as the mediator between them 
Mm-hmm. And then the guy that started the company was like, well, how about I just fire him and give you his job, and then you can run the operations for the company. It was a very small company. It was like eight hmm. people at that point. Yeah. And so that's where I've been for the last 14 years at this point. So I got to kind of build an operations unit and nice. fill it full of people that I know and not know personally, but like we have a very strong internal promotion ethos and so Mm -hmm. everybody all the directors all the managers they've all been people who started out at entry-level positions and we've kind of developed them and worked them up into these into these roles so that has given me the freedom honestly to do a lot of my other projects because i was able to sort of organize what this department is going to be like and Work-life balance has always been very important to me, and so that's mm-hmm. something that has been embedded into because the operations team is the greater part of the company at this point, and so mm-hmm. we get to dictate a lot of the company values. And one of our company values is work-life balance is super important. I'm upset with you if you have unused vacation time at the end of the year. Use your goddamn mm-hmm. vacation time. That's how mm-hmm. we get people to stick with us for you know seven, eight, nine years because they're not getting burned out. We're not grinding them down to nothing and then saying, oh, we'll just hire somebody to replace you. Yeah. So that's been, it's been very fulfilling, if I'm honest. I never thought that I would have fulfillment in my job. I sort of assumed that it was just going to be something I suffered through to make money. <laughs> but, you know, like I said, I work with Rob, one mm. of my best friends for most of my life at this point. And that shorthand that I have with him allows us to be hyper efficient. There's not a whole lot of explaining. Yeah. You're going to take this and I'm going to take this. We all know what our strengths are. I know what he's going to do. He knows what I'm going to do. And that has carried over to a lot of the other people that I work directly with that I've worked with for now, you know, six, seven, eight years yeah. for most of these people. There's a there's an understanding there that allows us to be very efficient, get all of our stuff done, and then have time to enjoy our lives. Yeah, I, I asked because... You know, I want to know what you did because if you guys obviously put a lot of time into uh, the bands and the recording, and I want to know how all that fits in with being a dad to two kids and, you know, how you're able to, I mean, obviously when you got married, your wife knew you were a musician and she knew what she was getting into. But I know that, you know, uh, with my wife and I, it's sometimes uh, been a challenge to find time for me to go and rehearse when you know my band was up and running and especially when our first son was really young um and so i just was curious how you're able to kind of do all that and manage it you know a big part of it is setting the schedule ahead of time and the expectation i'm not adjudicating the issue every week i need off tuesday this week i need Mm -hmm. off friday next week it is wednesday nights you know I have band practice Wednesday nights. Tuesday evenings, you know I have podcasts Tuesday evenings. We get that out of the way one time, and then that's set for there and out. We don't have to argue about it each time. And frankly, for me, I'm a night owl, and so I stay up very late, and I don't really sleep a whole lot. Um, Mm. I will go to bed around, you know, 12, 31 o'clock. My son gets up hyper early, so he's up at like 6, and I usually will get up around like, 6 45 7 o'clock get the kids ready take them to school come home around 8 and then i have a couple of hours before most of my meetings will start and I, my meetings will usually go pretty solid throughout the day up until around like three thirty, four o'clock 
Mm-hmm. Uh, I actually coach my son's soccer team on Mondays and Fridays as well. Oh, wow. So, you know, I think a big part of it is just, you know, we're like sharks. You stop moving, you die. So yeah. you might as well just keep, keep yourself active. And, you know, as a parent, with kids this young, I have a six-year-old and a nine-year-old, and they are learning so much. They're forming these core memories. You can't be absent for those. And so I never right. want my hobbies to take away from that. But the other thing that I definitely don't want is to be a boring ass dad that my kids have no respect for because they don't know <laughs> me as anything but just dad just right. makes me dinner. Dad drives me places. What does dad do? I don't know. He sells insurance or he works in real estate <laughs> or whatever. I want to be a dad that my kids want to emulate and that I have interests and that they see that I'm interested in things and I apply myself to those things because I think that that will carry over to them. I actually have, I have my shirt on right now that my wife made for and says, cool dad. <laughs> Cause that is one of the things that I've always wanted to be. I wanted to be a cool dad and yeah. being a cool dad means being a present dad, but it also means being a dad that still has some individuality left over. I mean, my wife married me because of who I was before we had kids Right. And I can't turn into a completely different person just because we have kids because then she might fall out of love with me and my kids won't really respect me, you know. And I won't really respect yeah. myself, honestly. Right. Do you try to kind of influence your kids in terms of what they're listening to music-wise? Or are you just like, here's what I listen to. You don't have to like it. Let's hear what you have. You want to listen to. How, what's your approach to all that? Well, I just listen to a lot of music in the house. And so I feel like they're constantly surrounded by music. My son is a big ACDC fan, which nice. I'm super into. But I also get it. In ACDC, there's not complicated stuff going on there. It's very easy to get into something that's got just a shouted chorus that you can mm-hmm. sing along to. My daughter's much more into Disney songs and stuff like that. But because I am very often the one that is controlling what is on, I will listen to music that I know interests them, but I will find the best version of that and have them listen to it. Like there are some modern Disney songs that are really good. Mm-hmm. And there are some that are just absolute garbage. And so I'm not mm-hmm. going to put those on. I don't care if it's from your favorite movie. I'm going to put on one of the good ones that I know you also like and hopefully steer you in a direction that demands a little bit more out of your listening experience than just, hey, I know that from somewhere. Yeah. And that was, uh, and I've talked about this on the podcast before, like that was something because I was so influenced by my parents, especially my father's, uh, taste in music just because he was, was we were always listening to music and I want to do that with my son and I kind of probably started a little too early with him um, but now he's you know he's five and he likes the Beatles and he's picking up on other stuff and he randomly will like I don't know my wife was singing Bohemian Rhapsody or part of it and then he listened to the song and really liked that a lot and um, so now it's just you're, you're like cultivating you know their their uh what they're listening to and try to you know give them a a, a nice base to you know build from and you know i'm kind of like the same thing with you it's like yeah do we let's let's try to listen to some good stuff like you know originally when he was younger i was i was trying to go through all this new children's music and i ended up just going back to raffi initially and then i heard about (laughs) then i heard about casper baby pants and so that was like those were the two big things um, and then I threw in the Modesky Martin Wood kids album that, you know, uh, uh, let's go everywhere. And so like, my hope is that he will eventually appreciate all that later on. 
Um, I wish I was able to play more music in the house. I just does, it doesn't seem like we have any time. Yeah. Other than because with the one year old now, it's like gotta listen to the baby music again because that's what he's into all the Sesame Street stuff, which is not bad. Um, not bad, no. But, but you know, I gotta some, tell you, I'm a, I'm a big either. proponent of like never dumbing it down for kids. Like I yeah. will explain to them when I use a word that I know what they don't that they don't know what that word means, but if the appropriate word to use is rapport. I'm going to use the word rapport, and I'll say this is what rapport means. And I never purposefully put on, like, baby music for them. I, mm. I'm i a big proponent of, you know, I, I'm sure you're familiar with Graceland. I love that album. Oh, but, uh, uh, that, that was that was a seminal album as a kid for me. And my son, yeah. he likes, you know, my cover band played uh, You Can Call Me Al. Oh, and, nice. And um, that was... He started dancing to it in the street and then wanted to listen to it a lot at home. And this was a few years ago. But yeah, Graceland, uh, amazing choice. But the, I, no, I, there's the line from Graceland that is, I've, it's always stuck with me because I love the harmony over it. It's a beautiful harmony to sing along to. But it's the one where he says, in early memory, mission music was ringing around my nursery door. Like, mm-hmm. they're aware of what's going on, even if they don't necessarily understand this is aretha franklin they're aware that they're hearing something that is different and complicated and soulful and um you know interesting even if it's not necessarily something that is immediately captivating and i feel like so much of you know like baby shark and shit like that it's meant to be instantly grabbed onto Mm -hmm. and i would rather have something that is a slow burn for them but when they get it they really get it um, I, I totally agree with that, and it's it is interesting to see what they remember and what they don't remember, and you know what they kind of latch on to, um, and you know maybe it it won't be it won't be something that they are immediately into, but later on down the line it will be like oh it, like something in their brain it, it clicks, um, and you remember that stuff. So I I totally agree with that. Um, and your kids are uh, at the age now where. They may be picking up instruments. Do they play? Have you encouraged them to pick up an instrument and play? You're getting to my my main failure in life at this point. So <laughs> I got drum lessons from my son for a while, and he absolutely hated them. I mm-hmm. let him pick the instrument, but he, he has no interest in it. My daughter likes to sing, but she has not really expressed interest in an instrument yet, and I don't want to force her. She's only six at this point, so I'm not going to force her into an instrument, but... I have a keyboard set up in the house that they can just basically turn on and play. Mm-hmm. I have three-quarter scale guitars. I have a micro-scale bass. I have ukuleles. I have shakers. I have everything they could possibly need. I'm doing everything I can to encourage them playing. Has not caught on yet, which, I mean, isn't that just being a parent, though? It's mm-hmm. That's exactly what, if you could distill the experience of being a parent down into something, it's... This is the thing that I most care about you getting into. And they're like, well, I have no interest in that at all. Yeah. Like, again, I tried like being like, you got to listen to this. And I'm just like, we're going to let you just try everything. We're going to put you into stuff. And like, you know, I I know my son's not athletic at all. Like he's not going to be an athlete, but we're put him in soccer. He likes it sometimes. He doesn't like it. But given that experience um, and we'll know in the future, he doesn't want to do it again. He likes Taekwondo. We got him into that. He started. He's enjoying that. Great. Um, we'll probably have him try piano lessons, and I have a feeling he's not going to like taking piano <laughs> lessons. And but maybe he will um, at some point. You know, 
uh, you know, he hates having me teach him stuff on the drums. Like he just wants to hit it. And I'm just like, don't you want to learn how to like, he's like, no, I'm like, okay, yeah. whatever. Um, you know, he's only five. So, uh, sure. but he, he at least likes making up songs. He's, he has no innate rhythm at this point and his, he can't like, you know, but he's making up songs and he's starting to pick up on like how songs, you know, the, the song you know are crafted and and like what goes where and he's picking up on you know where sounds are and stuff it's, it's really cool like um so you know I, I get where you're you're coming from and i'm just trying to check myself as well to be like all right he's not into sports like i was as, as a kid great you know okay cool he's not into this he's really into legos let's let's foster that for now and uh do everything we can to help him you know, encourage him in what his interests are. Yeah, and, like my uh, wife's mom taught piano lessons. And so she forced her to play piano. And now my wife's favorite band is Hanson, and she doesn't really listen <laughs> to music. That's what that leads you. That leads you down a road of like, ah, music's not really my thing because I was forced to do it because it came a chore. And, you know, yeah. I never wanted to be that. I got into music because all my friends were like, let's start playing instruments. I was like, yeah, that sounds like a really great idea. And I... I remember going to my parents and saying, I want to buy a guitar. And they said, well, good luck with that. And they were not like, let me just buy you a guitar. There you go. They were like, mm -hmm. you can earn the money if you want to, and we'll take you to a pawn shop and you can buy a guitar. And then one of my good friends at the time, not somebody who I played music with and not somebody who I do the podcast with, went to his parents and said that he wanted to play the saxophone. And so they bought him like a $2,000 saxophone. He was an only <laughs> child. And by the time I had earned enough money to play the, to buy a guitar, he had not played the saxophone in weeks. And I was just like, yeah, I don't yeah. care about that anymore. And here I am just, when I first got the instrument, and this is one of the things that I feel like is, is tough with kids, especially the amount of time between beginner and actually sounds like music. The shorter amount of time that is, the more likely you're going to stick with it. Because if yeah. you're like, oh, this actually sounds like something, which is one of the reasons why it's kind of a shame that the bass require slightly larger hands than kids can do because you know you could be in a band in th three weeks playing the bass Iro ironically my dad had my brother who is now a professional musician and um like he's a dj he's an edm group but they were like an emo punk band that got signed and were touring with like metro station back in like 2008 2009 but he started off on bass because he didn't have his hands were too small for a guitar so my dad told him, you should play bass. And he got him a three-quarter bass. And he, he became a great bass player. And, nice, and, nice. Um, yeah. Um, but that, that led him to play guitar and stuff like that. But, it's yeah, so, I, I mean, yeah, it's interesting that you said the opposite. Because I would think that because of the smaller neck, you could have a smaller neck um, versus the guitar and stuff like that, less strings and all that stuff. I think it just takes it takes more to hold those Dexterity, bass strings yeah, down. Yeah, yeah. Well, it just takes more strength. Like, you need a stronger grip to be able to hold the bass strings down. And, yeah, I've been playing for, Jesus Christ, like, I started when I was 15 on the bass, and I am 42 now. So 27, 27 years, years of playing the bass, and I still, if I'm just hammering on that low <laughs> F, I'm still at the end, like, oh, come on, man. Can I switch <laughs> off of this? Come on, man. It's getting tired. <laughs> I'm curious now, because you mentioned your parents – had horrible music taste of music or at least you, you said they didn't listen to anything great what, what were they listening to you ever heard of the uh off-broadway show pump boys and dinettes 
Nope. It's absolutely terrible. I believe the big song off of that was Farmer Tan. Every girl loves a man with a farmer tan. <laughs> this is the kind of shit that I was listening to growing <laughs> up. It was bad. And some Irish traditional music, stuff like okay. that, which I've come to appreciate later in life. But as a kid, I was like, what the fuck is this? Yeah. But they did buy Graceland. And I remember getting picked up from my grandparents' house and my dad had the vinyl of Graceland. It was like, I just picked this up. I'm excited. Your mom likes Paul Simon, so let's let's listen to this. And that was one of the ones that really got me as a kid. It's just fun. It kind of starts off with that. It's the accordion. It's got that gunshot yeah. sound of the snare drum. I was like, oh, this is really compelling. That's still one of my favorite albums of all time. I still listen to that one frequently and try to get my kids into it. I'm impressed that you played in a band where they covered You Can Call Me Out because that is not an easy bass line. I mean, he doesn't play it exactly there, but like, and, and you know, the drums are also not easy too because you have all the other percussion. And so I had to distill it down to like the lowest common denominator. I was like, okay, so I just do like, boom, but I actually did was I watched uh, when they did it, I guess in 2011 or 2012, when he performed with like most of the original band um, in England, uh, one of the big festivals, um, I was watching that, and I went back and watched the Graceland um, concert film, uh, which he did. They put out in like '87, uh, which was one of my favorite movies when I was a little kid. <laughs> I would watch that like you know once a month. Um, I went back and watched what the drummer was doing. Okay, and being like, that's okay. If he's doing that live, that's what I need to do because that is what matters the most in the live setting. Like all the extra stuff doesn't matter. Let's get down to the, what the root and the the backbeat of this whole thing is. Um, yeah, you know, yeah. it's interesting. I feel like so much of my musical advancements have been learning, uh, just learning a bunch of songs from other people. And it's been like, well, I like this aspect of this song. What is going on here? Let me learn that. It's, with songwriting, it's like, what makes the Carol King bridge so fantastic? Well, she takes the chords that were in the the body of the song and just gives them like double treatment over the bridge, yeah. and that allows the melody to stretch out a little bit. Like, okay, that's simple, but you you have to learn it to really kind of internalize it like that. And so I remember growing up, it was all I would go to my bass lesson and be like. Teach me this song, and my bass player, my bass teacher, would be like, "No, I'm not going to teach you this song. I'm going to teach you how to learn that song, but I'm not just going to be like, this is what you do, because that's not how you're going to really fully understand it." I had a fantastic bass teacher growing up. He was one of the best music teachers I've ever had because he would not have an instrument in the lesson. He would mm -hmm. steadfastly refuse to have an instrument. He had a keyboard that every once in a while he'd like plunk something out on the keyboard, and like it's kind of like this. Yeah. But I don't know about you. I had the experience early on where I remember taking guitar lessons because that was one of the things my parents said. Like, if you buy a guitar, we'll get you lessons. lessons. Yeah. And so I went to my guitar lessons, and the guy basically just taught me three power chords, and he would shred while I would play the three power chords for half an hour. I'm like, why did I just pay you 40 bucks for this? What yeah, the hell exactly. is wrong with you, guy? But that sort of concept of you know mimicry of other people's music, it really it adds a lot to your education. Yeah. I, I, I didn't really... You know, I probably didn't, I never really sat down and like did that until I was in my 20s. Like I really just kind of, you know, I, I would play along to CDs and stuff, but I, I 
I, I don't think I, I sat down and practiced enough to try to do that. I would just go by feel and just I don't do like my own feel. And then later on, try to, you know, do that kind of stuff. Um, well, were you in a cover band in high school? Because, I mean, being so no, in a no, cover I band was, in high we, school helps. <laughs> we, were, we were like a mix of like a cover band, original band. Originally, it was like a cover band. Then we started writing our own songs and then became more original. Um, but we and, and then we went after college and we kind of like had a kind of a break. Um, then we started playing parties. And so we played more covers. Um, and we would throw in our own songs every once in a while. And then I was in another original band, but yeah, it's, it really wasn't until like, I guess that, cause then I started listening to the songs and being like, okay, I got to get the hit here and get the hit here and, and, and try to mimic what they're doing. And then more recently with the, the, my recent cover band, it's like, you know, listen to what they're doing, but also like boil it down even f further than that because sometimes there's too much going on so let's just keep it simple um but no i mean i re you know it's it, it, it definitely learning other like focusing on what other people are playing is, has definitely helped me like you know i taught myself some bottom licks and you know how to I remember learning how to play the ocean you know which is in that weird time oh, yeah. signature which and um that was helpful to me and then I eventually taught myself how to do uh, Fool in the Rain, you know, as well. Um, but, yeah, it's yeah, I hear what you're saying, and it's definitely helpful. Um, I do want to ask, uh, though, because I forgot to do it earlier, have your kids watched you perform? Do they like watching you play music? So, interestingly, I have not played a gig in, like, nine years. Oh, wow. I've done a bunch of albums in that time, but I haven't played a gig in, like, nine. Well, actually, that's not exactly true. I have sat in for, like, I filled in for people who's, mm -hmm. you know, they need somebody to fill in because their bass player's out of town or something like that. I've done that a couple of times, but I've never played a full-on gig with, like, a band where I'm, like, planning it for a while. We actually have, actually have the first gig that I'm going to play in, like, nine years scheduled for the weekend of Thanksgiving, and so nobody's mm -hmm. going to be there, but... <laughs> Uh, I don't know if the kids are going to come or not. I think that we're probably going to try to make it, especially with you know, the friend groups that I have. They're all, we all have kids. I think it's going to be one of those, like, everybody get a babysitter. I'm going to go yeah. play a show. Then we're going to get smashed and take a cab home type of thing. <laughs> uh, that's a bit more of the vibe that we're going for. I would like to have my kids see me play at some point. I don't know if they would like it, but I would like it at some point. Yeah. Maybe when they're a little bit older. Do you play in the house? I play the bass. And so, well, I didn't, you know, yeah, I didn't know if you, you picked up a guitar and just, you know, strummed or played with that. Um, sometimes I play the ukulele kind of a lot, actually. Okay. Um, so I'll, I'll learn songs on the ukulele and, and play them with my daughter. Um, I have an upright bass, too. So sometimes oh, I'll nice. play along with that. And, uh, you know, the kids will kind of dance along to it. It's got that nice big thumpy sound to it. Oh, yeah. Scientist, so don't give me no equation to fix. I'll solve a problem with my fist. Cause I ain't no scientist, no. So 
At the end of every episode, uh, I like to ask the guests what they've been listening to. Obviously, you have to listen to music because of your podcast. But outside <laughs> of your podcast, uh, what have you been listening to lately? What have you been really into? You know, three bands, artists, songs, uh, whatever. Wow. Okay. Um, lately, I have gotten into Towns Van Zant a lot. Okay. And I just got, shit, what is it? It's this live album that he did in some Texas roadhouse, basically, in the 70s. And it's fantastic. It's just, it's literally, the size of the venue is at the beginning, they are, like, giving announcements about, like, bathrooms are upstairs. If you need the cigarette <laughs> machine, it's upstairs. It sounds like there's 30 people in the room. Yeah. And so I've really been into that. I love the song craft, and I love his voice. He has a confident fragility to his voice that I feel is very, very compelling. Well, won't you lend your lungs to me? Mine are collapsing. Plant my feet and bitterly breathe up the time that's passing. Breath I'll take and breath I'll give and pray the day's not poison. Stand among the ones that live in lonely indecision. Where fingers walk I have been listening to Doggy Style lately by Snoop Dogg, <laughs> and that's what I had to listen to for the podcast, but I just never stopped listening to it. I fucking love that album. It's really good. I have to, like, sit down and, and listen to it as an adult. I, I don't know. I, I mean, I, I, you know, remember hearing it, you know, as a kid, um, but never, like, sat through that, and I, I feel like I need to because there's probably a lot of really cool Dre beats and music in there that... Um, I, I was, would appreciate now. I was pleasantly surprised, I have to say. I was expecting it was going to be one of those, like, oh, I guess just because I have these kind of rose-colored glasses of nostalgia, listening to it with my more discerning uh, ears now, I'm going to find a lot of flaws. Nope, not a lot of flaws. It's still pretty damn good. From the depths of the sea, back to the black Snoop Doggy Dog, monkey at the, the, the dock. Went solo on that ass, but it's still the same. Long Beach is the spot where I serve my cane. Follow me, follow me, follow me, follow me, but don't lose your grip. Nine trips ain't the years there for me to fuck up shit. So I ain't holding nuts back, and motherfucker, I got five on the 20 sack. It's like that, and as a matter of fact, cause I never hesitate to put a nigga on his back. And, uh, I have been listening to, for I was listening to them a while back, and I sort of just have re been listening to them. That band, The Sword. You ever listen to The Sword? No, I've never heard. They of are like, uh, they they're like they sound like Sabbath era metal, but they're a more modern band. Their sound yeah. evolved over time, but I really got into that album, Gods of the Earth of theirs. They have a couple of songs that are pretty directly about. Game of Thrones, A Song of Ice and Fire, oh, okay. stuff like that. The song called like To Take the Black. They had the Maiden, the Mother, the Crone. It's just really good. And I I have always kind of liked fantastic subject matter for my mm -hmm. metal songs. I'm not super into the, you know, like devil metal stuff. Not that even that is serious, but that's just never really been my cup of tea. And I really do like they have that kind of well-paced. It's not like Shredder. It's yeah. kind of well-paced, thrashy kind of metal. So I've been I've been super into them for a while. And I believe they just recently broke up. But they were, you know, I saw them, I think the first time I saw them was like 2013 or something like that. And I was instantly hooked. They were. I was a huge nice. fan of them since then. And you too, so take 
Well, I, I appreciate these three. I mean, I know Doggy Style with the other two. I will sure. definitely, you know, putting the music into these episodes, it helps me learn about them and, you know, appreciate them. So thank you uh, for sharing that. And Tom, thanks so much for coming on to Dad Rocks. And um, I look forward to learning and listening to more uh, albums that I may have never I may know, but never listen to on your podcast, 1001 uh, Album Complaints. And, um, you know, thanks again for, for coming on to the show. Yeah, of course, Josh. Thanks for having me, man. I appreciate it. Thanks again for listening to this episode, and special thanks again to Tom Monahan for coming on to the show. You can listen to his podcast, 1001 Album Complaints, wherever you listen to podcasts, which I highly suggest you do. And though Tom is not on any social media platforms himself, you can follow the podcast on Instagram and threads at 1001 Album Complaints. You can check out music from all of the bands from The Chop Unlimited, including The Chop, The Beverly Crushers, Mega, and Repeat After Me, on all major streaming services. If you enjoyed what you heard, I would love for you to subscribe to the show and would really appreciate it if you left an honest review. Or, you know, just tell a friend about us. Either way, it helps get the word out about the show and helps us with all the algorithms and whatnot. If you'd like to follow the show on social media, we're on Instagram, Threads, and the app formerly known as Twitter at DadRocksPod, as well as on Facebook by just searching up DadRocksPodcast. If you have any questions, comments, or any show ideas for us, or just want to give us a shout, you can email us at dadrockspod at gmail.com. If you want to check out the music you've heard on this episode in full, we have a playlist which should be linked in the podcast description. Once again, thanks for listening today, and remember, dads, you rock.